Exodus chapter 20. Tonight is our third and final sermon on the second commandment. And next week, Lord willing, we will go on to our first sermon on the third commandment. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray. Father, show us the love that belongs to those who love you and keep your commandments. Help us to be that, to be those people who are zealous for your worship. Father, we thank you for your holiness, for your zeal, for your jealousy. We thank you that you are a consuming fire. Father, help us to see you as you truly are, to understand this name, Jealous, by which you revealed to us, yourself to us, as the Jealous One. Don't let us trigger your jealousy, let us celebrate it and rejoice in it, and imitate it. We pray these things, Father, asking that you would free us from distraction and help us to focus on what your word has to say, what your spirit is telling us about you and about how we ought to obey you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't believe I've ever heard a sermon on the jealousy of God. The closest thing probably is one that my childhood pastor preached on 1 Samuel 2 and the statement there where God tells Eli, the one who honors me I will honor, the one who despises me will be lightly esteemed. Kind of a similar principle. But actually the word jealousy is very important. The the concept, the English word appears 49 times in the New King James Version and as I said the Hebrew word is 87 times in the Bible. This comes up regularly as something that God is. In fact, until you understand the jealousy of God, or what we might term for our generation, the passion of God, you won't understand why proper worship is such a big deal to Him. Until you understand God's jealousy, that is this reason, the rest of the commandment will not makes sense to you. So let's look at this. What, first of all, is jealousy? Well, there's different ways you could translate this word. You could call it jealous, or you could change the first letter and call it zealous. Or you could translate it as impassioned, and some translations actually have that translation here in Exodus 20. The Lord your God is an impassioned God. Now that does not mean that God is subject to emotional currents that carry him away without his rational mind being involved. That's kind of what we mean when human beings are impassioned. They're, it's a crime of passion. That is, they didn't think clearly about what they were doing. They just 
felt it and they were moved by that feeling. God always is thinking clearly. But to say that he is zealous or jealous or impassioned is to say that he cares profoundly. At the deepest level of his being, he polices the boundaries, he monitors the relationship, he invests everything that he has into his glory, his name, his worship, and his holiness. Put another way, God is all about God. I went to college with a Marine named Tyler Stockton. I was talking to him one day, and he said to me, I own the domain name TylerStockton.com. Oh, really? I said, I'm all about my name, dude. My name. I got to protect my name, he tells me. It was like, you know, there are probably quite a few Tyler Stocktons in the world. I didn't, I didn't want to get into it with him. He was a Marine. But God is like that, but at the highest level. There are not many gods and many lords. God wants to protect his name. He is all about himself. So here he refers to it as jealousy. But the most common name for this feature of God is simply holiness. That's what holiness is. God is about God. Holiness means, as we've said many times, existing for God. And God is superlatively holy. That is, God, more than anybody else, more than anything else, exists for himself. His goal is to glorify himself. What he does every day is to enjoy himself. Because he is the most glorious person. He is the most glorious being. He is the most enjoyable, most rich, most sufficient one there ever is. There is or ever could be. So here he describes it as jealousy, but elsewhere it's simply what we would call holiness. So I'm not brilliant enough to discourse at length on what this means, so I'm just going to give you some passages that relate to it. I think the most important one, if you'll turn a few verses ahead, is right here in Exodus, Exodus chapter 34. So we went last week to Exodus 32 and the golden calf incident. In the aftermath of that golden calf incident, God and Moses have a long negotiation session on the mountain. God says, I won't take you to the promised land after all. Moses says, yes, you will. And eventually Moses prevails. And God says, all right, I will take you to the promised land. Here's instructions for what to do when you get to the promised land to prove to you that I will take you there. I'll give you these instructions for what to do when you arrive. So Exodus 34, 13, God says, You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other God, for Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, we might say something, you know, I think something is an important part of, part of my character, an important feature of who I am. I'll say, that's my middle name. Happy is my middle name. But God doesn't say, jealous is my middle name. Right? My name is not 
Yahweh, jealous God, he says, jealous is my name. Taking it to the next level. This, without qualification, without demotion into a middle name, my name is jealous. And then he repeats the phrase from the second commandment, I am a jealous God. That's an excellent reason not to mess with his worship. That's an excellent reason not to use images. God is not a little bit jealous on the side. God is supremely jealous to the point where he happily acknowledges himself to be named jealous. A jealous wife makes sure that her husband isn't texting other women, meeting other women, having coffee with other women, and on and on and on. And if you can imagine a supremely jealous wife, surely the husband would be supremely careful not to trigger that jealousy. Here God says, I am supremely jealous. In fact, just call me jealous because that's who I am. A jealous God makes sure that his people are not getting worshipful in the presence of an icon, a crucifix, or any other kind of entertainment or infotainment or aestheticism. All those things that we talked about last week, consumerism. A jealous God cares about his worship. Many more verses on this topic. Let me share a few of them with you. Deuteronomy 4. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which Yahweh your God has forbidden you. For Yahweh your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And you notice that two things are affiliated or associated in that passage. The consuming fire, which Hebrews picks up on in Hebrews 12, and the jealousy of God. Those things are juxtaposed there, and it happens again in other passages that we'll read. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land, and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything, and do evil in the sight of Yahweh your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed it's a longer restatement of the second commandment make a graven image and your children and your grandchildren will be wiped out because god is a consuming fire a jealous god ezekiel 38 much later in israel's history almost well almost 800 years after the time of moses ezekiel prophesies and he says this It will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord Yahweh, that my fury will show in my face, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Did you notice what does Ezekiel associate together once again? The fire of God, the fire of God's wrath, and the jealousy of God that polices the boundaries of the relationship and that is all about his glory, his name, his worship, and his holiness. 
Nahum 1. Now we're in the Minor Prophets. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So, this is Nahum's opening statement. Nahum 1, verse 2. God is jealous. The Lord takes revenge. So what is jealousy associated with? With the fire of judgment, with the fire of God's being, and with God's revenge, which is exactly what the second commandment said. If you do this thing, I will take it out on your children and your grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. The jealousy of God is seen in the revenge that he takes on the people who sin this sin. Zephaniah chapter 1. We already read this. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. So we put these passages together and what do we see? We can define God's jealousy as this. God's jealousy is fire. What kind of fire? Well, it's the fire that burned in the bush that Moses saw. God's jealousy is the consuming fire, which is his being. Hebrews chapter 12, Deuteronomy chapter 4, our God is a consuming fire. What does he consume? Well, he consumes all sin, all evil, all uncleanness, all impurity. He burns it right out of this world. Saw my grandfather do something once, which I've wished to imitate many, many times, but some kind of field implement with a spinning shaft. I don't remember the name of the implement. And that shaft had picked up who knows how many square miles, how many linear miles of baling twine. The whole shaft was just wrapped up thick with this twine. And I looked at that and thought, how on earth would you ever unwind that? How many miles has that shaft traveled, rolling along, gathering twine? So what did Grandpa do? You guys know where this is going. He takes the oxyacetylene torch, lights it up. In 30 seconds, in the fire of that acetylene flame, all of that twine has been devoured. It's gone. The shaft is smoking, but it's clean. And that's what God associates his jealousy with. The self-feeding fire that burned in the bush, but did not consume the bush. The bush had done nothing wrong. The bush was holy. God lived in the bush for a moment as fire and showed himself to Moses as such. The consuming fire of God is the same as that end-time fire which will one day burn off the earth and purify it. Zephaniah, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be devoured. So a jealous wife might complain. A jealous husband might pull out his gun and shoot his, his cheating wife and her paramour. 
But God's jealousy is not expressed in bitter words or in a couple of lead bullets, but in that end-time fire, the blowtorch, which is God's being that consumes and burns everything impure and wicked off this earth. What is he telling us when he says, I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God? The only thing that can be compared to how I feel about you cheating on me is that primal fire that is the being of God, that end time fire, it will burn off the earth, expose it and the works that are done, melt the elements with fervent heat, so that a new heavens and a new earth can emerge where righteousness dwells. That's the jealousy of God. So the name of God, He's jealous. He is the self-feeding fire, the consuming fire. Now, how does that practically work itself out? Well, negatively, which is typically what we think of with jealousy, we think of the negative side, it works itself out in that God's jealousy doesn't stop with the one who committed the first sin of worshiping with a graven image. God's jealousy merely starts there. It isn't limited to the one who violated his command. His jealousy burns on and on. Hence his statement, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So negatively speaking, false worship is hatred of God. And God reacts to that hatred over the course of generations. Now we have a really hard time wrapping our mind around this. Our society doesn't do a lot with protocol or with, we don't hold with the correct way of doing things. We're not like the Japanese or the Koreans who have various shades in their language. You have different vocabularies that you use with people at different levels of the social pyramid. English isn't like that. We refer to everybody as dude. We wear flip-flops to the White House and so on. God says, though, that this, how you worship him, the way you come into his presence and what you do while you're there is something that he takes as either love or hatred. Certainly, we can imagine in a protocol-obsessed society, one can think of, I don't know, medieval Japan or something like that. If you approach the sultan in the wrong clothing, or you bring the wrong gift, or you greet him in the wrong way, he might take it as a mortal insult. God is saying, approach me in the wrong way. Think that you can come into my presence by means of that picture, the icon, the crucifix, whatever it is that you want to use for worship. And I define that as an act of hatred. Not an act of ignorance. Not an, oh well, it would have been nice if if they had come into my presence in a different way. But as 
a very clear assertion of hate. So when we engage in our consumer worship, our aesthetic worship, our entertainment-driven worship, God isn't saying, well, this isn't what I prefer, but I can live with it. He's saying, wow, these people hate me. That is a very strong claim. As I mentioned, none of the other commandments say, break this commandment and God will regard you as definitely hating him. But the second commandment is fenced around with all these kinds of reasons, partially, of course, as we know, because human beings love images. We're all about what we can see. And the context in which the Ten Commandments are given ancient Egypt and the lands of the Near East, every place that we know of, every people that we know of, every culture in that area worshipped graven images. And so for God to say, don't worship graven images, is so far beyond the pale that he has to build it up and give us reason after reason. Because it's something that was not intuitive to the Israelites and it's something that's not intuitive to us. We like to say, well, how could the image be wrong? Okay, maybe it's not best. God says, no, it's not best has nothing to do with it. It is something I regard as an act of hatred. Now, who among us would dare to approach someone who has power over us? Even if that is someone with very little power over you, well, the license plate clerk or someone like that. Somebody who controls in their hands whether you get something that you need. A minor bureaucrat. Who among us would dare to approach that person and just say, I hate you? You don't do that because that bureaucrat has all power over whether or not you get the thing that you need. God says, why would you come into my presence and then while you're there, say, God, I hate you. And yet that's what we do when we engage in false worship. And God takes it so seriously that the consequences of that pass down to your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. Why? Is God unjust? No. He visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children. In one, one, one interpretation or one sense in which he does this is that if you struggle with a sin, your children will most likely struggle with that sin. It's very easy, of course, as an adult, to say, wow, I have a problem in this area. Oh, look, so did mom and dad. Hmm. It's very easy to look down the chain and say, I struggle with this. Oh, look, so does little Susie. God visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children in that way. But in another sense, even the bigger sense, is that we are connected in family solidarity within individual families and within the super family that we call the human race. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, ate the fruit and plunged us all into sin. And that sin is visited on the children for generation upon generation upon generation. Not just because we're guilty in Adam, but also because we go and do the same things. 
We double down on that sin that we're born with. So people talk about breaking the cycle of generational sin. God says here, don't start that cycle. Don't teach your children to worship me with images. Because if you do, they will be cursed for the third and fourth generation. I will count them as hating me just like you hate me. But God shows mercy, and that's the positive side. Rarely do we think of the positive side of jealousy. You probably don't think of jealousy as the thing that keeps you faithful to your wife, faithful to invest in your marriage, faithful to keep things going well on the home front. But that's exactly what God's jealousy does. His jealousy doesn't just cause him to police the boundaries, his jealousy brings him to invest, to show mercy to thousands who love him and keep his commandments. Because God is that burning fire, he gives us all the blessings we could ever want. He shows steadfast love to thousands. What is this word? This is an important word in the Bible. Mercy, it's translated in the King James Version. Steadfast love in the ESV. It's God's love that won't give up, won't quit, won't die, won't fail. That's what he shows to those who keep his commandments. That's the positive side of the jealousy of God. So a thousand generations, his covenant faithfulness, his commitment, his steadfast and unflinching, unconditional love, that is what he shows to those who worship him in the right way. That's a pretty amazing promise. Few of us are able to visualize our children of the fifth or sixth generation. What will my great-great-grandchildren be like? Where will they live? How will they live? We really don't know. A thousand generations is far beyond the time horizon that any of us can comprehend. But God comprehends that time horizon and he says, I will continue to show love and faithfulness that far down the line. Because true worship is love of God. Thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He doesn't say thousands of those who feel warm fuzzies about me. Thousands of those who write now nice things about me on Facebook. No. Thousands of those who love me. And how do you show love to God? You show it by your actions, by keeping His commandments, including this commandment of right worship, but all the other nine as well. So negatively, God reacts with the fire of his jealousy when you transgress the boundaries of the relationship, when you go after images. Positively, he pours into the relationship when you stay within the boundaries. That's the jealousy of God. Not something he's ashamed of, but something he's proud of. So what is the commandment telling us? Number one, worship God rightly. That should be obvious. God cares how we worship Him. And there's a great deal in Scripture about how to do that. He specifically says, don't think to yourself, what might God like? And then try to make a few guesses and set up a worship service based on that. He says, instead, read my book, 
see what I want, and do that, and do only that, and don't do anything other than that. This is absolutely key. If you want the blessing of God for your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren, worship God rightly. And teach your children to worship God rightly. That steadfast love that God exhibits to those who keep his commandments is yours, but it's not just yours. It is for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and beyond. Notice also that how incommensurable it is. You know, the, the jealousy of God negatively goes to four generations. But positively it goes to a thousand generations. 250 times as many. Because God loves us and he loves to bless us and he loves to be faithful to us and he loves to save our children and show his same steadfast love to them. Now imagine that. If you're jealous in your marriage, just imagine, what if I put 250 times as much effort into the positive side of this relationship as I do into fussing when I see my spouse getting close to the boundary? That doesn't mean you shouldn't say, there's a boundary, stay away from that. God shows his mercy to thousands of generations, at least a thousand or thousands, compared to the visiting the iniquity to three or four generations. Well, finally, this command is shown to us perfectly in Christ. God the Father taught his Son to worship rightly. Jesus didn't worship through images. Jesus worshiped in the way God desired. And in so doing... He preeminently received the steadfast love of God. And that mercy is on him and on the thousands of those who are his children. Those whom he saved, his people that he died for. The mercy of God, the steadfast love of God is ours because Jesus kept the second commandment. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to know you as the jealous God. The God who is the primal consuming fire. The God who is the end time fire that will devour the earth and burn up the works that are done on it. Father, help us to love your jealousy and holiness, to imitate your jealousy and holiness. Burn up our corruptions. Salt us with fire. Make us ready and fit to enter your presence. We thank you for your Son and his perfect obedience to this commandment, and that we who have worshipped you in so many failed ways have forgiveness, have assurance of your steadfast love still to a thousand generations, because we are among the thousands who have sought refuge in Christ. Father, we pray for all those who use graven images wrongly and we ask that you would turn their hearts direct them rightly help them to obey you and to keep this commandment to stop hating you and to start loving you help us to do that we pray in the name of your son who is zealous for your worship amen